Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show that covers all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. And joining me today is my children's museum reading buddy. Yeah, someone who, buddy. <laughs> someone who is an expert at reading to babies. Uh, the one and only Nicole Brady. Hello, Nicole. Thank you. I do read to babies. It's never too young to start. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting experience we that had. That was fun. We, I've talked to our uh, people upstairs about uh, maybe setting us up with a few more kids next time. Okay. A few more kids who can understand what we're saying, perhaps. Uh, but yes, little Oliver, the six-month-old <laughs> baby, was adorable. Yes, adorable, but... Uh... And really, I guess into the book. Yeah, engaged, yeah. It was engaged, but it would have been nice to have more than just Oliver. Yeah, yeah and maybe maybe a few more kids uh, who could understand what we were talking about, maybe yeah. give us a little appreciation back, but... Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was fun, Jason. And Denver 7 will be reading at the Children's Museum again. So Very good. Bring your kids. So what's el- what else is going on in Nicole's world? Oh, well, lately it's just been wonderful. The kids are back in school. Oh, that's wonderful and for you. In, uh, you one, like that. one in kindergarten now, the oh, last one you're in kindergarten, free. I'm free. <laughs> you're free to nap I or do whatever you want. I take a nap most days. Yes, it has been a joy. And, you know, I've realized I, I'm not driving as much because oh, really? of that. I walk to school every day to pick them up. Um, because last year I had to go get my son first, so we'd go get we'd go somewhere and then go get her. So we're in the car a lot. Uh, now... I walk, I get them. It's, it's counting up steps on my pedometer. Nice. And not really even using the, the car seats much anymore. Have you had any run-ins with cars where they almost run you over or completely mm. uh, ignore you as a pedestrian? No. I, I have to say props to the parents at my kids' elementary school uh, because they're very respectful in the parking lot. There is that long line of cars, as I'm sure is the same at your school every day, coming to pick up the kids in that line, uh, plus the ones who come out and walk and and pick up. And no, they're they're great. But I see all the time people going really fast, even though the Mm -hmm. lights are blinking for the school zone signs where the speed drops about 10 miles an hour. I still see people racing right past it at 40. Yeah. And sometimes if, if somebody will call, sometimes the bus drivers will call the sheriff's department and have them come out there and, and take a look, but it doesn't happen often enough. And zip, I mean, they're just zipping right it's by. It's a problem. You know, I try to look at the drivers going too fast in my neighborhood. It's usually teenagers. Oh, yeah. yeah. I see that, too. So, come on, guys. Well, it's been really nice. <laughs> outside in, in my house, they have been tearing up the road and not just doing a resurfacing. They have removed all the asphalt they removed a top layer of the road base and they yesterday had mixed in new base and new stuff i mean it is a whole new road uh, this it, so it has reduced the amount of traffic that goes in front of my house mm. dramatically because it's only the people that live right here within the 10 houses right next to me that can get in or out uh, yesterday we couldn't get in or out all day because they were working on the road, but it's been really nice. Yeah. I talk I, about it enough. It's nice that the construction is coming to me. I should just take a jackhammer out to the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Make it look like some work needs to be done. They'll shut down the street. See, yeah. there you go. And then you can have a nice peaceful roadway in front of your exactly. house. Exactly. That's the way to do it. Well, we do have a great show on tap today. We're going to be speaking with Chris Salviati. I believe that's how I pronounce Chris's last name. He'll he'll correct us if if I'm wrong. Uh, Anyway, Chris is the housing economist for ApartmentList.com, 
And they have released a study showing the number of super commuters, and that number is growing. We talked about this this week on the morning show. And a super commuter is one that commutes how much? How, 90, lo- how long? 90 minutes or more okay. each way. Not not total, Yeah, but each, each way to and from work or home or school or wherever. 90 minutes. That's a long time to commute. Yeah. So we're not talking about miles. We're not talking 90 miles, even though I guess it could be that. Uh, but it could be you live... 10 miles away from somewhere you're commuting, but it just takes you that long to oh get God. there. I hope we're not there yet in the Denver metro, but I imagine that's uh, maybe the Springs to metro yeah, area. Or a, yeah, maybe at least that's here, but you know, we are a national yeah. show, and we're actually a worldwide show here, Nicole. So it's not just super commuters here in Colorado. Sure. Super commuters all across the country. Well, I have some friends in Boston, and I oh, know yeah. his job was two hours each way. See? Right there. Which, yeah. I, ugh, well, we can I mention that imagine. when we talk to Chris in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, I know way too much now about diesel particulate filters. Uh, I don't. I, just, <laughs> I was researching a story because somebody asked me about city school buses. They were saying that they saw these Aurora Public School buses driving out on I-70 out to the Eastern Plains, just driving for 10 miles uh, at top speed, getting off the highway. I mean, the bus is completely empty. And then turning around and then coming back another 10 miles and just, just they thought it was wasting fuel and wasting time for the drivers. Uh, and and in, in other words, wasting my taxpayers' money, right? My, my school district's money. Um, well, actually, those filters, those diesel filters, they build up all that soot that would be coming out of the back of the tailpipe, right? Well, they, they actually hold all that soot in there in this filter, but because the city buses are only going at 35 miles an hour for the most part, doing a lot of stopping and starting and doing a lot of idling, they don't get up to a speed and temperature, 650 degrees or above Fahrenheit, to burn that stuff out. So hmm. they call it a regen run. And they're, and they're running out there on I-70 so they can get the engine and the uh, filter up to a certain temperature and burn all that crap out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They, and then I talked to mechanics who say they could do it in a shop uh, and and force that okay. regen run instead of driving, but it actually wastes more fuel and causes all kinds of uh, carbon emissions inside a certain area, which is no good for anybody. Is it good to be putting them outside, though? Well, it's, it's better <laughs> because it burns it off okay. in a different way, okay. I guess, is what they were telling I see. me. Uh, and uh, the Aurora City School System says they have saved 60% on their fuel costs because they're mm. doing these runs since they've... Uh, purchased all these diesel buses. Interesting. Yeah. So it's an- not what you would think, but right. that actually makes sense for them. Okay. So, uh, Nicole, I want to, before we, we talk more about uh, some stories that you covered today, mm-hmm. I want to take you to Kennewick, Washington. That's where a man received some instant karma when his pickup truck was stolen while he was robbing the business across the street. <laughs> his getaway car got up and went away. So the incident unfolded around 6 a.m. because that's the best time for crime. When the owner of a red 1992 Chevy pickup, he he called police. He's the one, the criminal, called police because his pickup truck was stolen. Now, the guy had left his keys on the seat, and the thief had walked by, saw the keys, got in the car, and got in the truck, and off he goes, right? So police, they were looking for the perpetrator, the person who stole the red truck, And as they were looking at the surveillance video from the business there, they discovered the reason the pickup truck owner had left his truck and the keys in there because he was stealing items from the business across the street. (laughs) And he called police. He did call police. 
Now, that pickup truck owner was then booked in the Benton County Jail on a warrant and also that new burglary charge. The saddest part of the story for that guy, though, they still have not found his red truck. Oh. Yeah. That was a better criminal than he was, I guess. I guess yeah. so, you see. So what, what do we know what kind of business he was stealing from? I By do any not. chance I do I not. wonder how they how quickly they made the connection that that's that's what he was doing while he was calling in the report of his stolen truck. <laughs> you huh. <know>, it's just <laughs> It's so stupid. Uh, it is. All right. One of the most inconvenient parts about flying, going to the airport, is going through security. It's very inconvenient. Yes, it's it's necessary because we, we don't want to have uh, problems like we saw on 9-11, obviously. We don't want to have people hijacking planes and, and blowing them up and doing bad things no. to planes, right, while we're on them. So I understand security, but it is an inconvenience the way it is done right yeah. now. Yes? Yes. We wish that they would just come up with a better solution for us Where we don't have to take off our shoes. Citizens, yes. We're not taking our citizens, uh, We're not taking our laptops out and putting in a separate thing. The we can water. Ta- we can actually, yeah, take a bottle water. of water, yeah. right? Well, that's one of the biggest okay. parts of some new technology that's, that's being rolled out, at least in the in the UK, because this all could change over the next couple of years. So all the major airports in the United Kingdom, they're now going to be required to have these 3D baggage screening pieces of equipment in all of their airports by the end of 2022. So we're, we're really looking at two and a half years, maybe a little bit less than that. Officials say the technology will boost security, speed up the pre-boarding checks, and here's the biggest passenger benefit – the new 3D scanners should end the restrictions on traveling with liquids and laptops. Amen. Yay! Yeah. That's awesome. Now, is this this the same one we have at DIA? Different. Okay, not Apparently the same. it's a little bit different. Okay. It's close, but it's different. Now, these new 3D scanners, they're similar to the like a CT scanner, oh. apparently, uh, that they use in hospitals. It's already being installed at uh, Heathrow Airport there in London. And the new scanner provides a clean picture of what's in your bag, and the security people can then zoom in. They can really inspect what's in there, Mm. so they don't really have to worry about you taking all your stuff out so they can see it more clearly with the current technology. They can just see it, everything that's that's hidden on you or in you or in the bags. Have they ever flagged you for something that they wanted to, they thought it was something, and then they open it? They always (laughs) look at my radio. I I bring a radio with me all the time, uh, or, or I headphones and that sort of thing and i usually wrap it around a phone or my radio and so they they think it's a little suspicious so they'll look at it and or food sometimes i bring food for my girls because i'm crazy about not having enough snacks for them (laughs) and the reason is i'm I'm just always thinking about a travel delay all right let's say we have some kind of a crazy delay and I, I know I could have some food or some snacks or something that could keep them satisfied and keep them okay. That, that's really what I prepare for when I go to the airport or go flying uh, or go on a trip. It's really about making sure that they are comfortable because if they are comfortable, I will be comfortable. Yeah. Because I can be comfortable just about anywhere. You know, I have a different take on that. I don't take snacks. I buy food at the airport. I am very cheap usually, but... I see buying food at the airport as preparing myself for the fact that I'm about to spend a ton of money on on a vacation. It gets it kind of eases the transition in for me. <laughs> so I start by buying like the four dollar bottle of water at the airport <laughs> okay. and the nine dollar <laughs> snack. And then I'm ready for the, the vacation when we're eating out constantly. Yep. And- 
<laughs> and you're spending. And by the end of it, I just say, uh, "What? It, I yeah, I don't even care." It's about like the tiptoeing into the ocean. Ex- that's exactly how I look at it. So yeah. you just get your feet wet, yeah. have a couple of the waves hit your legs, yeah. and you go, "All right, now they are wet. I can start going a little bit deeper." Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a bigger wave oh, gets yeah. you right there in the tummy, and I'm ready. And then, then all of a sudden, there's a shark nibbling on your foot. Well, we try not to let it get that <laughs> far, but. You know, I, I always wondered about the uh, the water thing anyway, because they allow you to bring, it's 100 milliliters or three ounces of liquid, mm-hmm. and you put those bottles in a uh, quart size Ziploc bag. Well, I, I one time was able to bring five of those 100 milliliter bottles uh, full of uh, uh, booze in one of those, <laughs> in one of those quart size they- bags. Did they know what that it was? Oh, yeah. They, okay, of course, they you knew. had to take it out and yeah. show it to them. Okay. You had to throw it through the scanner. And then, Were so, they minis? Or no, did no, they you weren't put the tiny ones. No, no, no. Because you, you can... All right, the tiny mini ones... did you put vodka ones. in a shampoo <laughs> no, bottle, Oh, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> it's not like you're going on a cruise or anything. So you do... <laughs> so the mini ones are actually not 100 milliliters. You can get 100 milliliter bottles. They're a little bit bigger than the minis. Okay. And then you take those and you put them in. You have to go to the liquor store, and that's how you get those mm. 100 milliliter ones. Uh, because everybody thinks three ounces here in the United States, but it's it's also 100 milliliters. I see. And all these stilly drinks, that's how I thought we were all going to be transitioned into the metric system, is because of litered bottles. Because uh, everybody yeah. buys a liter or two liter of Coca-Cola, sure. right? Yeah. And so it, we know that. So I was thinking that they were going to use that as a springboard to then, we now have to buy a liter of gasoline. And now yeah. you're going to have to buy this many grams of of cereal and, right. and, and still go, hasn't happened though. No, it hasn't no. happened. They're still just on that anyway. <laughs> so you take five of those, and it's nearly about two thirds of a full bottle, a fifth of liquor, like okay. a regular bottle that you would buy Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or whatever you want to buy. Uh, it, it, it's about two thirds if you have those five hundred liter. I mean, you have five hundred milliliters of yes liquid. Now imagine if I had I... grain alcohol in there. What you you can't believe that? No, I is... I can't believe I haven't done this before. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm breaking a news revelation. For you. This is a revelation to me that I could have been taking alcohol on planes for years now. Yes, exactly. <gasps> but go on. All so right. yeah. So the deal is now TSA really doesn't care that you're bringing alcohol across through security because they don't they don't care what you're doing on the other side. They just want to make sure that you're not bringing bad stuff with you. On the other side, the airline does care. So hmm. if they catch you using your own booze and pouring it into your own cup ah, or whatever, okay. then they might have a problem with it. But that's what you do before you get on the airplane. Ah, <laughs> yes. right. so okay. anyway, look, Perfect. there's a lot of things. Anyway, I get back to the original point. So I have 500 milliliters of, of whatever fluid I would want to go through security. And I could put, let's say, grain alcohol or some high alcohol content liquid in there. And then I have a really big bottle of flammable liquid with me. And if it was me and you and, let's say, two other people that were on the same plane with that much flammable liquid, that could do some serious damage to an aircraft in flight. Right? Right. Yes. Don't you think? I think with the right know-how and... Well, not even know I how. Mean, you I just have a lot you, of liquid. I, I mean, if so. I start pouring that on the airplane, fire, and start, yeah, I mean, you would exactly. start a fire like yeah. that because it's going to burn hot and fast, and there's a lot of things on an airplane that is flammable. I suppose you could, yeah. And then people obviously would start freaking out, and you do it in certain areas of the air. I'm not giving ideas away here <laughs> that terrorists haven't already thought of, people. 
So don't think that, oh, yeah, why can't you shouldn't say that because then you're giving the terrorists an idea. <laughs> I'm not giving them ideas. No, the terrorists that listen to this show already know yeah, they, how to do that. <laughs> that's right. We are number one in Syria, by the way, with the terrorist community. Um, but, yeah, that's I've always thought that was a way for somebody to really cause havoc on an airplane um, in an easy way that is still <laughs> yet untested. But I think these new 3D scanners, hopefully will eliminate that process. Now, I don't know if they can find out with these 3D scanners the difference between, uh, let's say, a Sky Vodka or... You know, Grandpa Jim's Jim's yeah. rum. I don't. I don't know. So, so do you think that they'll start limiting uh, the kinds of liquids that we could take? I don't on know. Board? Just I, not yeah, the volume. The thing. Okay, yeah. huh? Now, I think they do say that you're not supposed to bring pure alcohol, like grain alcohol, okay. uh, moonshine kind of stuff, through because it is so highly flammable. But you still can get some high test alcohols. Mm. Um, they have that. What is it? The Jim Beam or no, the Wild Turkey 100, 100 101, which wow. is like 101 proof. Um, I mean, you're already looking at that's basically 50% alcohol. Okay. Uh, wow. And you can get what is it, the Bacardi 151? Is yeah, that right? That's right. That's yeah. a big, you, mm-hmm. you're a big Bacardi No, I don't drink that one a lot, but I, I mean, know of it. You're basically looking song. at 75% uh, alcohol there, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the 151 means that's what the proof is. Usually it's 80 proof, which is about 40%. 40% okay. So if you get higher than that, you're obviously going to get more flammable. What's ever, it's all science, ever clear? Nicole. Ever science. clear? That's almost a hundred. That's that is nearly a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent alcohol. Basically, I think it's over ninety. I think I had it one time. Once. <laughs> and how did that yeah, go? No, I don't. What I happened? Don't remember? You, <laughs> you don't, do you? Are you sure you don't remember? Oh, college. Okay. Nice. Uh, but some of that new technology is already being tested in certain airports in the United States. Um, and so that'll be nice if we can use those tech uh, technologies to then go through security faster and easier. Yeah, right? I agree. And then I can bring my own water and stop spending the money. Maybe, maybe control myself. Bring were you snacks with, too? Were yeah. you with me last time? We were talking about the Tampa airport, and we were talking about how you can at least some of these airports go into the airport, the security area, if you yes. are not flying right. Right. And you we were, were saying talking. that that was a good way to. Maybe go pick somebody up. Yes, I did. Well, I think one of those airports was the Tampa airport, and I will be flying, this is news to you now, uh, to the Tampa airport here in October. At least that's the schedule. All right. So it'll be the first time I'll be able to see the Tampa airport, and I couldn't be more excited about that. Well, fun for you. (laughs) Where? (laughs) Is this for the cruise? Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. I'll be flying to Atlanta, Tampa, and then driving across the state of Florida over to Port Canaveral. That'll also be yeah. a first driving across lap line. I, I've I've driven north Down? south, but I've never okay. driven well, east west across Florida. Long, I guess. No, definitely not. Like two and a half hours. Uh, so traffic authorities in Spain, where this show is huge, by the way, we are really big in Spain. A lot of downloads in Spain. Uh, they are now using drones to help spot drivers breaking the law and issue tickets to these people. Great idea. We need more enforcement, right? I, I Would guess you like to get a drone I, ticket? No. The General Directorate of Traffic. I uh, guess that's what they have there. The DGT. Wouldn't it be something in Spanish? You that would they think have so. <laughs> you would think so, but I do not have that, Nicole. El Jefe. <laughs> they say they have 11 drones, three of which have been certified 
uh, by the Spanish Meteorological Center to gather evidence of people doing bad things on the roads. Hmm. The remote-controlled aircraft, they will monitor areas where crashes frequently happen, and roads are used by large numbers of cyclists, motorcyclists, and pedestrians. Yeah. Interesting. I I mean, we have enough problems here with our red light cameras. People don't like those. Well, that's because we have the whole Fourth Amendment, the yes, search, and search and seizure, and, seizure, and also yeah. facing your accuser. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, we have the... Constitution, they don't. Okay, yeah. Uh, the, the drones will also be used at large events that cause heavy traffic and also assist in emergency services. So photographic evidence first will be gathered by these certified drones. They'll be sent to a civil guard traffic officer. And as soon as the offense or the committed or the, uh, the, the problem has been detected, then that officer will look it over, look over the video, See if there's a problem there and see if there's a defense there. And then they'll send out a ticket or a citation. There you go. All right. Boom. You're done. The DGT uh, said it was in the process of buying 20 more of these drones to be used for patrols and traffic control. August is the big summer holiday period there in Spain and really in most of Europe. August is huge for holidays uh, out there where most of the country and most of the, like France and Germany and, and all those countries in Europe, they're, they're basically on holiday. They're, they're not all working. Off, yeah. They're not doing, they're like, like senators and congressmen here in the United States. They're all off in August doing nothing. Uh, just away. Just they have a whole month to do nothing. That's life, yeah. Um, holiday sounds more fancy than a vacation, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. On holiday. Shouldn't we just say like everything that. is on holiday? Yes. I think I should, instead of taking a vacation day or a. PTO day. I'm going to take a holiday day. <laughs> yes. Just tell that to the bosses. It's it's my holiday. And I hope if I you're... celebrate me. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope if you're listening to this show in Spain, uh, where we are huge, I, I hope you're enjoying your holiday. And then back to work in September, I suppose. Right? Yeah. We have the big Labor Day holiday coming up. Yeah, I'm working. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'll be laboring on laboring Labor Day. Laboring on yes. Labor Day. Is it a traffic day much here? Uh, mean, no, there's no traffic much, on Labor right? Day. Okay, yeah. It's wide open. Um, we have the Taste of Colorado. Yes, we'll have some The closures. Festival of Food and Plain, I think is what they call it, something like that, um, where they have a lot of food. The best part about that is the roasted corn that they have. Mm. They, they just take the corn That's and they good. roast them there on the, on the cob. The whole thing with the with the husk, and then they peel them back, and boom, you have some deliciously roasted corn. They dip it. They dip the whole thing. They don't just spread Ooh. some butter. They Ooh. dip the whole thing in butter. Nice. Pull it out, and then they throw a lot of salt and pepper on it, and then whew, love it. Good stuff. That is that it's is what, that's what teeth. I always get at the fairs. Everything. Yeah. I, f- I figured you'd be a fried food kind of like a get a fried uh, Twinkie kind of. No, thing. I don't like no no no. I've tried. I usually I've tried them when they were kind of newer in the past. I tried the fried Oreos and Twinkies and donut burger and all of it. It was yeah, no. You're you're a big fa- you're a big fair kind of girl, are <laughs> yeah. you? I do like fairs. I didn't go to our <laughs> state. Well, I mean the state fair here is still going on, but I don't I don't think we're going to make it down. Yeah, I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of people make it down to Pueblo is where yeah. our state fair is, and that's the problem because it's in Pueblo. They want it in Pueblo. It's not as centrally located for for them for Denver for, no, people. Right. Yeah. But they want it down there to bring business to Pueblo mm-hmm. because there's nothing else to do there. Yes. That is the big thing going on in Pueblo. Uh, but it also brings up the bigger issue about Big Brother and being watched by cameras yeah. everywhere and, and anywhere we go. 
they are all over the place. They're halo cameras all around our city. I know other cities, New York City and Boston and all the other big mm-hmm. ones, they all have halo cameras that are watching us yeah. at all moments of the day. Um, you know, we have the privacy laws here, but how much privacy should we have when we are in public? And with the facial recognition software that's coming out, that's getting even more controversial. Because, yeah. yeah, you know, driver's licenses are not a right. They're actually a privilege. You are licensed. Mm-hmm. It is not you are guaranteed a right to drive. So are you then not covered under the same protections in the Constitution as if you were just walking down the street? Good question. See, I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, that's why photo radar is different here in the United States than it would be uh, in other places. And it's different than getting a ticket from an officer because actually you're receiving, if you get a ticket from an officer, you're actually receiving a a summons to court. And most people just pay it early. So what they're doing is pleading guilty. You're doing a, a, a plea bargain, basically, without people involved. The ticket allows you, the citation allows you to plea bargain right. your offense to a lower offense for a lower fine and mm-hmm. then for your guilt. Right. Uh, or you could go to court and fight it. But that's what you don't get if you have a photo radar or photo red light Is the citation. right to do that. Yeah. Or, or actually the, the right to face your accuser first mm-hmm. and then take your ticket to court. Yeah. But you tell people to not pay that. I do not. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> So, there uh, you there go. There you- <laughs> somebody I work with in the morning who talks a lot about weather just received one. Oh, um, did she? A photo okay. red light ticket, and she says that she did not run through the red light. Um, and so she said she's going to fight it instead of just ignoring it. Like, okay. Okay. Whatever. That's, you know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. If I, were, I got one once here. I got one. On, it, was a, it was, what a day it was. It was Valentine's Day. February 14th, 2017, I got pulled over in the morning, and the cop let me go with a warning. Nice. I was speeding on, and how the, did you on get, the highway. How did you get the warning? What you, would you do? Did oh, you wink at him? No, they just, oh, know, they, uh-huh. just they like us at Channel Oh, 7, is that I what think. it was? I you used, pulled the yeah. don't you know who I am card. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you they asked. Oh, they asked. job yeah. a Denver 7 News <laughs> officer. So, uh, yes, <laughs> I I did get out of that ticket, but right. karma being what it is, I got a red light camera ticket the <laughs> same day. Boom. And that red light camera ticket came on my way to go buy ha- uh, Valentine's Day candy at King Supers, and I bought the candy that day, and I got cash back on my purchase and forgot to take the cash. <laughs> so I lost $40 on the cash back machine, 50 bucks or something on the red light ticket. And the and the <laughs> fact that the cop let me go that morning was a complete wash. So, oh, I'll story, never forget that day. This story is so Nicole. <laughs> yes, Honestly, it is. it is. It truly is. It is. <laughs> oh, my word. All right, well. And yeah. you paid the red light ticket, I, I presume. And I did. I paid the red light ticket. Of yeah. course you did. Uh, but you also <laughs> you also covered some traffic-related stories yeah. today on the morning show. One of them was about a complaint that I hear very often. It's about people not using their turn signals. Mm. So what was that all about? 
Well, this was a study that the Society for Automotive Engineers had done and found that uh, based on 2012 data... Uh, oh, 50, so nice and current. Yeah, so it's nice and current. 50% of drivers regularly fail to use their turn signals when they're changing lanes or turning. Well, uh, no, I thought it was just changing lanes was the high one, and then there was one about different for turning. Oh, yes, okay, 50% for, for changing lanes, yes. Okay. And which which is a concern because that's the one that often catches people off guard, and right. that contributes to some two million accidents. No way. Uh, that's what they said. Uh huh. I'd like to see more data on that. Okay. Well, they... two million crashes based on that. I I I I. I, I call... mean, they might be very minor. I call shenanigans no. on that one. We'll look into it more. <laughs> No way. But, uh, well, they, I mean, you could imagine that if there are people constantly veering into, a, the, you know, well, merging yes. and then, oh, sure. um, you know, a small fender bender might occur from that. But you could also get into a crash using your turn signal and then changing a lane and somebody either zipping up right there and, and getting your way or, sure. or I mean, yeah. you could still get into a crash. Um, That's uh, just a generally uh, t- difficult. I mean, time just because you road, use exactly, it or you don't yeah. use it doesn't mean you are or you're not going to get into a crash. Yes, that's true. And the same with well, it, it it sounds better though that more people are using their turn signal to turn than they are to merge. But I hear that a lot that fewer people are using their turn signals to merge, to merge and they just yeah. zip in and out. Um, when I'm coming into work at three o'clock in the morning, there's nobody else on the road yeah. but me. I mean, so, there's nobody within a quarter mile. I might see their headlights, but I'm not going to use my my signal if there's nobody around, and I'm just going to change a lane yeah. to get over. I don't usually. Right? I I think that's the time when I usually don't use the turn signal, but I might still out of habit. It's probably a good habit to well, keep. Well, sure. In. <laughs> yeah. The other story that you were covering is from the Reason Foundation. Yes. And I had a great hour-long interview with Bob Poole from the Reason Foundation. It's back on episode 119. If, if you or anybody else cares to go listen to it, it actually was a really good uh, interview with Bob. And uh, he's basically one of the, or the founder of express lanes and toll lanes and that sort of thing. It was a really fascinating yeah, interview with I him. I spent an hour mm-hmm. with him. Uh, so go back and listen. It's episode 119. Anyway, the Reason Foundation report that you that you were doing this morning it was talking about congestion in the country and how bad our road conditions really are, not only here in our state, but really across the country, Everywhere. how bad they are. Yes. Yeah, that uh, report had Colorado uh, sort of middle of the road overall, 36 out of 50 states for overall uh, composite score. Our worst score was for rural highways, uh, the pavement on those being in poor condition. Uh, urban highways were a little bit better. Traffic congestion, we were in the about 37th for that. So we're pretty pretty high uh, among cities for congestion. So that'll be an interesting one uh, to add to the conversation we, with, about super commuters coming right. up. Uh, but, but yeah, our rural roads was the area that needs a lot of pavement improvement. And I know that CDOT has really taken a lot of... Uh, heat oh, they uh, should. for that. Uh, and and th- one of their priorities, I think, is going to be pavement uh, and just fixing some of those roads. Of course, they've, you know, they're also looking at other transportation options and uh, as a part of their overall plan here. So we'll see how quickly some of that uh, gets fixed. So my family and I, we made mm-hmm. two trips to Kansas for baton twirling competitions this yeah. year. 
each time when we pass the state line from Colorado oh, into Kansas, just... which is number, and I'm looking at the list, number yeah. six on the list, the road conditions were dramatically better. Yeah. And I've also heard from other people that are going from Colorado to Utah, which is number nine on the list, considerably better roads. Now, Colorado or other people here have said, well, it's our freeze-thaw cycle. That might be the case up in the mountains. Obviously, we have mountain, but we also have a lot of plains driving, and there mm-hmm. are a lot of roads that Even are not there. up in the higher yeah. elevations. And we are right next to uh, several states that have yeah, we, problems, we have the, but better road conditions. We Where's have the New lowest Mexico? in New the Mexico region. is 21. Is higher. Wyoming is 11. Oklahoma, Oklahoma is, is lower than us, I think, might have been. Let's see. Let me find. Oklahoma was 41. Yeah, they were right. the only one in the region that was And they are a border state us, to Colorado, yeah. if you didn't realize that. Uh, and let's say Arizona was 29. Uh, but... It's it's amazing. If you were looking at the, the list, North Dakota is number one. Right, yeah. Uh, Virginia is number two. Missouri, number three. Maine, number four, which is obviously a freeze-thaw state. And Kentucky, another one, with also terrain issues because of their mountains, uh, is number five. Kansas was number six. Tennessee, Montana, also with a lot of freeze-thaw and with a lot of elevation changes and issues. Mm-hmm. They are number eight. Utah at nine and Alabama at number ten. So there has to be something else going on right? with some of the worst states. Um, and the, and, and we were ranked I, uh, 33rd, I believe, for spending per mile on our roads in Colorado. So there may be more efforts in those other states. Uh, well, and I was looking at those numbers, too. Investment there. And there are some states, I think Alabama was one of them, have good road conditions with less money being spent on on overall okay. um, conditions of the road. So I, I don't think... It's just about it's just what's being to, spent on exactly. the roads. Well, it could also be usage of the, some of and them. how it's being spent, and, how, and yeah, and all their uh, all those. Different, and you know what? Maybe I should get uh, for next week. Maybe I should get one of the uh, authors of this study. Yeah, I think that would be a good one, Jason. And that would be uh, they yeah, could talk be about and, and maybe talk about you know who's driving on some of our rural roads if it, it uh, the traffic and type of traffic out there that uh, might be wearing them down yeah. a little more. But or, then you look at Alaska; they're number forty nine. And I would yeah. say they probably are dinged because of so many uh, far-out, rural, basically never-traveled roads yeah. in Alaska in a state that is so enormous that it would be hard for yeah. them to get higher on the list. But then you look at New Jersey, which is a much smaller state than Alaska, right. obviously, and they are 50th. Yeah, I so saw that. New Jersey is another great place to drive. <laughs> uh, Rhode Island was 48. Hawaii was 47. But I think Hawaii was dinged because they don't have technically an interstate system. But I guess I guess they do have interstate type highways. But obviously they don't go they go intrastate more than mm-hmm. interstate because right, obviously yeah you're not going to be driving from Hawaii to California, are you? Not anytime soon. So maybe they have an intrastate <laughs> system, yes. not inter. Uh, Massachusetts was 46. New York State was 45. Uh, California 43. Florida was 40th, and they have some pretty bad roads there. Um, but still, I think in the, for the most part, they're better than the ones here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's basically some of the highlights from that list. Yeah, get them on here. I should. I'll get them on. Uh, I'll get them on next. Can, time. They can explain some of the uh, yeah reasons why we ended up there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so up in Canada, they have government-run car insurance, unlike we do here, where you can get any kind of car insurance you want. Right. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, they, I mean, they have subsidized health care and a lot of I things. I did not know about yes. the car insurance. Wow. Uh, there's a man up there in British Columbia who wants the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, that's their insurance company, to consider rewarding drivers who invest in dash cams and then submit videos of bad drivers to the ICBC for review, and then those bad drivers would then be penalized with higher rates. <laughs> what do you think about that? That'd be like a Gomer Pyle citizen's arrest. Yeah. <laughs> citizens arrest! Citizens arrest! You remember? You don't remember that episode? I, do you? I don't. No. <laughs> you remember Gomer Pyle though, don't you? No, you have not no. really. No. 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 Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, Tristan Calvo says that uh, he's experienced countless close calls as both a bike rider and as a driver. From being cut off to having illegal U-turns pulled in front of him. So Tristan records everything that happens to him on his bike mm. or in his car with a dash cam. And he uses that, he thinks, uh, to use, he, he uses that and then he posts the video. And then he takes the videos and he wants to send it to the insurance company and then have his insurance rates lowered because he says that he's a good driver or rider. And then have the people that are uh, bad drivers have their rates increased and it would give them uh the incentive to give him a break you see that's what he wants basically he says it wouldn't cost the government anything the penalty for the bad driver becomes a reward for the good driver Hmm. that's his thought now while the icbc says it will happily take any video footage that tristan or anybody else wants to send in for an insurance claim that's fine or if it helps with someone else's crash that's fine but if you're just submitting dash cam evidence of people driving badly, you, you can you can just keep that on your computer. We don't okay. want that. Yeah. Now, the Ministry of Public help. Safety and Solicitor General says, while dash cams can be useful in assessing fault in a claim, they don't do anything to lower your risk of being in a crash. Hmm. So we're not looking at lowering rates for anyone who uses them. The Canadian government is implementing a 35-speed activated camera at some high crash locations that will then send out tickets for both running red lights, excessive speeding. Again, they don't have a constitution like we do. Uh, The ministry also says that the program has been successful in reducing crashes and changing behaviors from drivers in those areas. Tristan, though, believes that if other drivers knew a person behind him could then possibly have a dash cam and then turn them in for driving badly, it would act as a similar deterrent. I have a dash cam. Yes. I see red, uh, I see, honestly, stoplight runners happening all the time. I was going to say, you could have turned in a lot of people by now. Yes. Including me, probably. Didn't I think you used to record me when when you used to I still take do. the same route as I we don't drive the same route at, anymore as much. Well, maybe I'm going to change that. I <laughs> I'm going to wait until you leave. <laughs> well, and mainly for my safety, uh, honestly. That's that's uh, really what yeah. it comes down to well, because yeah. I am much safer when I don't drive at the same time as you. <laughs> I have found that to be to be proof positive. Well, I'm glad that yes. uh, me moving has helped you. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I think you, yeah, you go down a different route. So I do. That's good for me. Well, it's good for a lot of people that live <laughs> my way, right? Just beware on Broadway. Yeah. I did find though when I was driving <laughs> yesterday at this construction site, I thought it was pretty funny. So there's this guy who has the sign, the the slow on one side and the stop on the other side of the sign, and so there's this construction vehicle coming out of this 
construction apartment complex. And so he has the traffic, and I'm the first person there. And he, he has the traffic stopped, but he's showing me the slow side of his of his sign. Okay. And he and he then so he's standing there and he looks at his sign. He just briefly looks at his sign and he could see that it was the stop oh. sign showing him. So he didn't do anything for about five seconds and then he flips it around oh. real quick to the stop side of the sign. And then he looks at me and he starts laughing. And I could see the whole reaction in his body and his in his mannerisms. And then he looks at me and, he, and he's giving me the gesture like, I'm sorry, man. It's all right. And I said, it's okay. I mean, seriously. I got, I understand you're standing in the street with a sign. I'm going to stop because there's yeah, other pieces of equipment. Yeah, I'm not going to plow you over. Or, or crash into that equipment. I'm not going to okay. do that. So it was uh, it was pretty funny, funny. and then funny. the guy but he was a good hustler because then as that as that equipment vehicle was was moving down the road a little bit he was he was running past it so he could get over to the next street to stop traffic there right. And then uh, keep everybody safe. So I, I had to give him props for that. And I, I posted the video. It should be out late. Uh, I, I think I scheduled it for this afternoon. Nice. So you'll be able to see that on Jason Luber Traffic Guy on the Facebook page uh, later on today, right? He is famous now, yeah. Oh, he is famous. <laughs> Most definitely famous. All right. So have you heard the term super commuter? It's when it takes someone 90 minutes or more to commute to or from somewhere. Not total commute. But 90 minutes each way. And that includes people who use transit. Now, according to apartmentlist.com, the number of super commuters has risen over 30% since 2005. So we wanted to get some more details about these super commuters. And we invited Chris Salviati. He's a housing economist for Apartment List to be here on the show. Chris conducts research on economic trends in the housing market. He previously worked as a research assistant at the Federal Reserve and an economic consultant. He has uh, degrees in economics from Boston University. Chris, you are well uh, qualified to be an economist and, <laughs> and answer our questions. So thanks for being here on the World Famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jason. Uh, yeah, happy happy to chat about this trend. Like I said, it's it's really something that we've seen a big increase in in recent years, um, and you know certainly not not the best way that you want to be spending your time. So I, I think it is a bit alarming to us to see that this kind of rapid growth in the, in this group of commuters. Chris, let's look at these super commuters. Why do you think they do what they do? So I think, you know, in most cases, nobody, you know, I don't think it's anybody's first choice to be commuting three hours a day. I think in most cases, you know, it's really a matter of necessity. Uh, in particular, when we look at the data nationwide, a lot of the real hotspots for super commuting pop up in the, the, the kind of really expensive coastal metros and places like New York, San Francisco, D.C., those are really the the foremost regions where we see a lot of super commuting activity. And it's definitely, a, a, I think, really a symptom of housing affordability. And so in a lot of these cases, these are metros that have been adding a lot of jobs, growing really quickly, uh, but not really adding enough new housing to kind of keep pace with that demand. And so that's when we get into these issues of housing affordability, where folks are having to move further and further out of the downtown areas and able to find uh, uh, housing that they can afford, and then they, you know, are, are stuck with these really long commute times. Uh, and like I said, so we, we see a, a lot of this activity happening in, in kind of New York, San Francisco are, are two of the biggest regions, but we're definitely seeing uh, an increase of this in the in the Denver area as well. 
are, are there super commuters then, obviously in the big cities, but have you seen any who commute to maybe a smaller city from a big city or from smaller city to smaller city? Yeah, that, that that's a great question. So actually, we see some some interesting trends when we look at this at the county level. So we, 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 were, we looked at data for this for every county in the U.S. And, and when you kind of chart that on a map, you can see some interesting trends pop out. So like I said, it, it tends to be these big expensive cities where we see kind of the, the real hotspots for this activity, but we actually see some interesting uh, hotspots pop out in, in certain parts of rural America too. Um, so in particular, we see, uh, you know, a, a, a patch of like really active super commuting activity along the Gulf Coast, which corresponds to, to the uh, uh, one of the, the biggest kind of oil drilling regions in the country. And so these are folks that are actually, you know, I think in a lot of cases, folks that work on these oil rigs are actually flown out by helicopter and they, they kind of live on the rig for a couple of weeks at a time. And so that really gives a whole kind of different meaning to, to the concept of super commuting. But that's obviously a very extreme form of super commuting. We also see, uh, you know, a uh, quite a bit of uh, super commuting activity in the Midwest coal mining region. So in the, the, the tri-state area where Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia kind of converge there, that's one of the really the historic hotspots for coal mining. And we're seeing a lot of super commuting activity there, which I think what we're seeing that that corresponds to, you know, the, the fact that so many of these coal mines have, have really closed in recent years. And so the folks that are still employed in those industries are having to drive further and further to get to, you know, what, what, what opportunities remain. And so it's sort of, you know, that, that, that's kind of uh, almost the inverse of what we see in the big cities where, uh, you know, generally we think of this as being a symptom of kind of really fast economic growth. But in some parts of the country, we're seeing areas that are, that are really declining economically. And so folks are having to drive further and further just to get to the few opportunities that are remaining. So it seems like there are obviously certain jobs that people will super commute for, at least in the smaller areas. But what about the bigger cities? Will people super commute for a tech job or a CEO job or some other kind of, they're not going to probably super commute for a barista job at a Starbucks. Right. That, 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 that's something that we, that we, do generally see reflected in the data. It's actually, um, you know, maybe maybe a little bit counterintuitive at first, but we find that folks that are who are super commuters actually earn higher incomes, uh, kind of overall. And so, folks that, that are earning six figure salaries are actually more likely to be super commuters than, than low income folks. And I think that that kind of gets at the the you know the the point that you were just making, which is that. If you've got a good job, a good tech job, or, or a you know professional career where you feel like you're doing work that's interesting and meaningful to you, and working at a company that you enjoy with people that you like working with, then that's going to make it you know uh, it, it's really going to have a big impact on whether or not you're willing to make this type of commute. Whereas someone who's working you know a, a minimum wage job is really you know there's not going to be a lot of incentive there for them to spend that much time commuting every day obviously some folks do need to, to kind of to to do these really long commutes to, to low-wage jobs and we do see actually kind of a, a pretty rapid growth in that group of low-income super commuters but overall it does tend to be higher income folks that are more likely to be super commuters chris are you seeing any trends that show more 
jobs offering telecommuting options uh, that would enable people to work from home. I mean, some of these industries, I could imagine that some of the work could be done at home. Absolutely. And that that's actually, you know, uh, one really interesting thing that we found in this data is that there's kind of a, a, a twin rise in both super commuting and working from home. And the number of folks working from home is actually increased even faster than the, the number of super commuters. So when we look at this data from 2005 to 2017, the number of super commuters rose by 32%, while the number of folks working from home increased by 76%. Uh, and the overall workforce over that period only increased by 9%. And so both of these groups are, are increasing really at, at very rapid rates compared to the overall workforce. Uh, and, and I do think, you know, what we're seeing there is uh, I, I do think a lot of employers are starting to be, you know, more flexible in, in terms of willing to accommodate different types of working arrangements. I think, you know, a lot of the kind of technology that enables those type of remote work is um, that technology has improved as well, which makes it easier for folks to kind of accommodate these arrangements. And I think in some cases you probably have uh, a number of workers out there who are actually embodying both of these trends at the same time. So someone who maybe works out an arrangement where, you know, they, they, they live really far from the office. And so their employer is willing to let them, you know, work from home maybe two or three days a week, and then they commute into the office the other two or three days a week. And so if you have an arrangement like that, then maybe that makes that kind of three-hour commute a little bit more bearable if you're not doing it five days a week. Yeah, sure. <laughs> We're speaking with Chris Salviati. He's a housing economist at Apartment List about the super commuters. Chris, just because someone is commuting 90 minutes a day uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they're living 75 miles away from where they're commuting to. It seems like congestion and trying to get from place to place uh, with uh, all this growth and more people on the roads and more people using transit, it seems like that that is a bigger issue uh, more than people having to live so far away from a big city. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we see kind of both of those things. You know, that there are the folks that, that do live, you know, like you said, kind of 75 or 100 miles away, and, and they're doing these really long drives every day. Uh, but there is also, you know, uh, like you said, a lot of folks that, that maybe aren't actually traveling that far distance-wise, if you were to look at it on a map, but they're either stuck in, you know, really inefficient transit options, or they're, you know, dealing with, with really kind of crazy traffic congestion. Uh, we actually find, you know, when we look at, when we break, break down this data by commute mode, we actually find that people who rely on public transit to get to work are far more likely to be super commuters. So people that, uh, the, those that ride transit to work, 14% are super commuters. And that's compared to just 2.4% of those who drive to work. So uh, does that now, mean I'll, that it's not worth it using transit and it's better to drive? Or because <laughs> uh, everybody says, use transit, you're going to save time and you're not going to be stuck in congestion. But obviously you found the opposite's true. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you know, it, it depends on kind of where you are, where you're living, and what your particular situation is. I mean, I, I would say, you know, when we talk about that really low rate of super commuting for drivers, that that is in large part kind of a reflection of the fact that, um, you know, nationwide, the vast majority of people do drive to work. So particularly, you know, mm -hmm. that, that those, those are numbers that are averaging off across the entire nation. So, and, you know, large parts of the country, there just isn't really transit options even available. If you're in a big city that has a robust transit network, it still may be 
a, a better option to ride transit. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do think that this, this shows that obviously, uh, I, I think it's the case that many, many big cities, uh, you know, are kind of lacking those robust transit options and that, you know, we haven't maybe been making the, the, the proper amount of investment in mm. transit infrastructure. And so it is the case that, you know, many folks that even if transit is their best option or their only option, it's maybe not serving them them as, as well as they would hope. Well, with people using transit, uh, public transit, they at least can get some work done. Did you guys ask anyone what they do during their super commute, especially those who are driving themselves? Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, we, we've heard a bit anecdotally about this, about, you know, what how folks actually spend their time when they're doing these really long commutes. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, for the folks that drive, it's a lot of kind of what you would expect, podcasts, audio books, uh, you know, things along those lines. Um, and then, like you said, people that are riding transit are sometimes able to, you know, do some work if they can, you know, some, some of these commuter rail trains do have Wi-Fi access or um, if you're able to kind of block off a chunk of work that doesn't require Internet access and you can, you know, get a seat and do that. Uh, reading on the train so you know lo- lots of things that um that, that i think you might expect but i, I think actually you know one thing that was that was kind of inter- that's been kind of interesting to me and in, um listening to to some of these folks who are super commuters is that uh a, a lot of them seem to you know really you know find ways to use that time that it doesn't feel like you know such a huge burden to them obviously it's not it's not an ideal way to spend their time and i don't think it's anyone's first choice but like i like i said before a lot of these people are commuting to jobs that are that are pretty fulfilling to them and you know that's the reason that they're willing to bear these long commutes and so uh you know it, it kind of uh, a lot of people actually do have you know a, a relatively uh you know keep a relatively bright outlook uh, on these really long commutes hmm. these people who are driving for the most part, not using transit, going to or from work, spending all this extra money on their car maintenance and fuel and time away from their family. That Those are some things, obviously, the maintenance can be replaced, but time spent with family can't. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like I said, it, it's definitely not, you know, anyone's first choice of how they want to be spending their time. I don't think, you know, I, nobody looks back at their commute as being, you know, the, the most <laughs> valuable thing that they did that week. Uh, and so, you know, for uh, for a lot of folks, I'm, I'm sure if you ask any of these super commuters, they would they would surely rather be kind of spending time with family than they would be be driving to work every day for three hours. But uh, but you know, it, it's really in a lot of these cases, unfortunately, you know, that's kind of the trade off that folks have to make in order to have the lifestyle that they want. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, it's a matter of being able to purchase a home. And so it's, you know, moving further and further to the outskirts of the metro so that you can kind of have the home and that, that, that home life that you want. But, you know, then the trade-off is that you're not getting to enjoy it as, as much as you would like. Do you see this trend increasing with autonomous vehicles? It actually, I think, might make it hmm. easier to become a super commuter if you are able to combine really the ease of driving a car without having to drive the car or be on transit with a whole bunch of other people yeah absolutely i i I mean i I do think that autonomous vehicles when they when they do become when when widespread adoption does start taking place that's definitely going to make this kind of 
super commuting a lot more bearable for, for many folks that, that are able to do it that way. Um, so I do think that, you know, like I said, we're seeing this rise in both super commuting and uh, working remotely. And so I, I think what we're seeing is kind of technology on both fronts mm-hmm. is sort of making those things easier and, you know, that, uh, that, that employers are increasingly willing to kind of to be flexible. And so, like I said, a, a lot of folks that are able to kind of do some combination of those things that they're not doing that really long commute every day. I think that flexibility is something that we're going to see continuing. And like you said, the technology is going to going to make this easier going forward in the future. Uh, but I, I do think, like I said, in, in many instances, this is really a symptom of housing affordability. And so, you know, it, it's not necessarily the case that anybody wants to be a super commuter, but they just simply have to, you know, drive far out to, to get that housing that they can afford. And so, I think you know uh, there there are hopefully some some kind of solutions that that we could undertake to to sort of address the the housing affordability issues in a lot of our, our nation's big cities because um, that that is increasingly something that that's affecting a lot of American families. Uh, so I, I I think you know if we kind of make the right investments and, and make sure that we're kind of building our cities to to accommodate that growth and, and growing and. and dense transit-oriented ways, I, I do think hopefully, you know, that there's a future where not so many folks actually need to be super commuters, but unfortunately that, that housing affordability trend is something that, you know, is pretty acute right now, and I I don't think that that's something that's going to kind of change uh, super rapidly. Chris, I'm curious how we compare to other countries, if this is something that we see. I know I know in some other countries they, ha- they are ahead of us on transit-oriented development, uh, but... Is this something that's common in other places and other big cities around the world? You know, that that's a good question. I actually don't have this data for or comparable data mm-hmm. for other countries. So I'm not totally, I, I can't provide, you know, kind of a hard data point on that. But my kind of hypothesis would be that this is probably something that's more common in America than mm-hmm. it is in other kind of big developed countries. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, particularly a, a lot of kind of European cities are, are a lot more transit oriented. Sure. Uh, and, and so I, I think that, you know, the, 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 the concept of folks kind of living in these far out suburbs and, and, and driving 100 miles into the city is something that's probably, you know, not as common, common there. Um, in other parts of the world, I, I'm not I don't have as good of a, a, a kind of hypothesis on, but that, that would be my general sense. Interesting, of it. yeah. We're speaking with Chris Salviati. He's with apartmentlist.com, the housing economist, and we're talking about super commuters. So, Chris, anecdotally, I've seen some folks that have been turned into super commuters because of construction areas. We have big construction zones here in Colorado, mm-hmm. especially between Colorado Springs and Denver. There's a 17-mile section that's being torn up, and it has turned people, unfortunately, because of the construction delays, into super commuters. Have you seen that also in other parts of the country where there's expanded growth and uh, a lot of construction to try to keep up with all that growth? Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. And, and that, that's, you know, one way in which this is kind of, you know, like a, a double-edged sword is that, you know, when we were talking about kind of, you know, wanting to to make sure that, that cities are growing in order to accommodate their growth, then that's definitely something that we want to see is we want to see cities kind of building the right infrastructure and building enough new housing to accommodate the, the, the economic growth. Uh, but on the flip side of that, when you have all this construction that does create additional congestion and, you know, 
at least in the short term, can kind of exacerbate some of these traffic issues and really lengthen these commutes for folks. So that 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 definitely is something that that can contribute to this. Uh, but you know, hopefully, you would think of that as being more of a short term thing. I know in practice, many of these infrastructure projects end up taking a lot longer than than folks imagine, and that that, that can be really kind of a challenging instance of this as well, because you know the 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 folks that are moving into these really far-flung suburbs, the fully kind of aware of the fact that they're going to be super commuters is, you know, or, or maybe hmm. they've kind of made peace with that on some level. Whereas, you know, if you kind of are, are used to your more normal commute time and then some big construction project kind of turns you into a super commuter for, for who knows how long, then, then that can, you know, that, that can create this whole class of super commuters who weren't really, anticipating or, or, or bargaining for that. I have one more question, Chris, as an economist, I mean, what's the net effect here? And I know it's, it's, there's a lot of factors that, that super commuting uh, has to consider, but are businesses generally losing money because their employees live farther away? Is there lost productivity? I mean, are we seeing uh, some specific numbers there as far as the cost of super commuting? Yeah, you know, I, I don't have specific numbers behind that, but I would definitely say that there is costs associated with this. So, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the, the again, the, the big kind of really expensive coastal metros, so the New York, San Francisco, Boston, D.C., and, you know, Denver prices have grown really rapidly in recent years. So Denver's kind of starting to, to even maybe get into this category as well. But, you know, as housing costs get really, you know, expensive and the cost of living sort of goes through the roof it does become uh you know uh, more difficult for employers to kind of attract talent uh, particularly when a lot of these kind of smaller metros that you know maybe took a little bit longer to recover from the recession are now actually starting to to, to do quite well and maybe offer a lot of these same kind of tech industry jobs that you maybe used to only be able to get in san francisco and new york now i think workers kind of have a lot more options. And, and so it's definitely becoming the case that, you know, I think some workers are questioning whether or not they really want to put up with that high cost of living or, or you know, that, that super commute. Mm-hmm. So definitely in places where this is common, I, I think that that can certainly make it a little bit more difficult to, to attract the right talent. And then also, you know, I, I think this is a kind of a harder one to, to put hard numbers behind. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think, you know, just in terms of employee well-being and folks' mental health, the, that 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 three-hour commute every day really does take yeah. a toll. And so, I don't think that you know that that's that's not really setting up your employees to to kind of do their best work when they're dealing when they're with uh, you know 15 hours in the car every day, mm. every week. Yeah, as a previous super commuter, I can tell you it does take its toll on you. <laughs> are are you Chris? Are you a super commuter? Uh, I, I, I'm not, luckily, you know, I, I, I live within, you know, regular commuting distance uh, of our office, but, you know, again, it's kind of a, a trade-off with that, uh, you know, the, how much you're willing to spend on your housing and how much housing you're, you're willing to, to kind of, uh, to accommodate, yeah. so I, 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 I traded off kind of the, the commute for having the, the tiny shoebox apartment is sort of what my personal situation is. So if somebody wants to read more about this, where can they find the article? Yeah, so the, the full report is available on our blog. It's apartmentlist.com slash rentonomics. Uh, and anyone who 
you know, is interested in any of our research can, can find this report and all of the other research that we do there as well. And uh, the, the main site, apartmentlist.com, if you are looking for, uh, you know, a new place to call home is, is our platform for, you know, helping folks kind of find find the right housing for them. And there are a lot of people, at least in the Denver area, trying to find housing. And there's a lot of new apartments being built here as well, mm-hmm. it is it is booming here. Crane City, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we are cra- Yeah, we are one of the many Crane yes. Cities USA's uh, <laughs> happening right now. Chris Salviati, thank you so much for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. We expre- uh, appreciate your expertise and your and your time t- today. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, Great thanks, Chris. With you. you know, if I had to work normal hours, Nicole, um, <laughs> right. I, I would be basically two thirds of my way to being a super commuter. Because one part, uh, one benefit of my job right now and what makes waking up at 2.15 bearable Mm -hmm. is no traffic. Right. It's just me and the cops and the semis (laughs) and the drunks making our way down the highway. Yeah, no, I I, I find every so often I get to work in less than 20 minutes from where I live and I think, hmm, how did I do that today? I must have been speeding. But normally I would say it takes about 24 minutes. Uh, from from my house to work, which should take during the day easily 30, 35 minutes. So it t- yeah. takes me about twenty six and a half minutes. Okay, uh, uh, when, when there's no traffic, if it if there was traffic, it would be at least double that. Yeah, it would be You're at least an than hour. Me even, yes, so, yeah. and because there are so many problem spots along the way, and one problem spot can lead to another slowdown and another slowdown. Um, I get so frustrated in traffic. That's another reason I could just never work a regular shift. I was going to bring it up with Chris. I, I it seemed to be a little beside the point, but I feel like I've read some other studies on how some people actually like to use the commute as a break. Oh yeah, from the right. you know a, a get out of the office work mindset and transition back into home mindset. But I would imagine there's also so many people who just build up more stress right. during that. Uh, my husband listens to Howard Stern every oh, day. Oh, he does. <laughs> Old episodes, new yeah. episodes, every day on his. Uh, he's only got like a thirty-minute maybe commute, but but I that's, understand that's that his point, thing. Because <laughs> I use, I, I do like to use that time to you know think about other things and uh, listen to different shows mm-hmm. and and catch up on some of these uh, at least thoughts that I, I I wouldn't be able to do here at work or other times or with my family anything like that. But man, every time I'm in traffic, <sighs> it's it's like everybody's an idiot. And and I and and everybody's a bad driver, and, and everyone's in my way, and everyone's slowing me down. I mean, it, it's this is me talking, but I'm sure I'm not the different no. than just about anybody else who is sitting in traffic every day and doing that grind every single day. It maybe it gets better like anything else, but I mm. can't see how because it changes so much from day to day. Well, yeah, and that makes it more frustrating when it uh, when one day it's faster and then another day. What what was the why? why yeah, is this exactly. The it's like, why, why am I slowed down right here? I have I have yes. great empath- empathy for for the daily commuter because it would make me hate work. Oh, yeah, it would make me hate it so much. I I would uh, it would just be the worst. Now. I, I, yeah, and I always wonder what jobs could transition eventually to telecommuting. Uh, could ours ever? 
You think? <laughs> if they put a green screen in my basement, I mean, you could do it at home. I could, I could do you this job. You can monitor the traffic. Yes, I could from do everything home I do. I could do the computers. whole thing yeah. if I have everything, all my equipment at home, and I had a green screen. But then I would have to have some kind of a a fiber optic line or direct line or so. It, it couldn't go transmission because I I don't think they would want that unreliability. <laughs> um, but actually, I talked to a company. Oh goodness, this was years ago. Um, and, and they had that same idea. I would have had to go, go, uh, gone to Seattle. But oh, basically, I would be doing traffic reports for smaller cities who can't afford a regular traffic person. It's the same model that hmm. used to be. So there was this uh, company called Jones Network that had different radio stations, about a dozen different radio stations, classic rock, country, uh, album-oriented rock, uh, easy listening, all that stuff. And they would have a DJ or several DJs throughout the day that would come out and do live shows, and then they would re- pre-record for these different for Tulsa or for uh, you know Small Rock or what I mean wherever you know these small towns around the country, uh, some custom little uh, breaks that sort of thing, I right? See, yeah. And they would send them out. So it was a way for these small stations and small. Uh, cities to have a big market DJ and big market uh, uh, programming in their little town. Well, it was going to be similar with this traffic operation thing where, hey, uh, small town USA, here's your traffic report and you record 30 seconds using their in-house data. And then, so it's like you're live with, uh, you know, Jane and Dave, hi, how you doing? It's here, your traffic update. And we have this crash over there on Broadway at 3rd Avenue and it's causing this delay. Back to you. And you could do that from, uh, you know, it was just going to be hit after hit after hit basically. Uh, for these, and then they were gonna they they take that forty five or you know less than sixty second update, and boom, send it off, and there you go. It was yeah. gonna be the hub and spoke model. Um, it didn't quite take off the way they wanted it to, and I and I really wasn't willing to move to Seattle for that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still could be done, especially in the era now of so many stations wanting to cut back on personnel, yeah, and save some money. So. Anyway, I think, well, you know, I like having the guy right here up in the sky, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I like you with the, your eyes on the roads right here, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And you would lose all my good commentary I know, I know. during the breaks. We wouldn't want to miss that. You would no. you would miss all of that, and, and there is a lot to be said for the camaraderie of, of course, a group of together. In an office, Because yes. we will talk, I mean, uh, right up to the point of being on air, within seconds of boom, then we're on. And, yeah. and so it's, and there's a lot of stuff that happens off the air. That you well one it's you know it's fun and and and, and it's also informative and it helps out the show I think mm-hmm. and yeah yeah a lot of interesting things right I yeah I don't think I would like working alone at home that wouldn't be no well because you you have a family as I do I I think if I had a long commute I would miss more family activities and that would be upsetting to yes. me. Uh, I, I like my family. That's why I had children right. because I like them. We want to spend time I, with yes, them. Yeah. I, I want to be with them. <laughs> if I if I was a single guy, then maybe it wouldn't. I, I could spend more time at work or on a commute, and it really wouldn't bother me as mm-hmm. much. Um, but you know, being a being a family man, I want to spend time with the family. Yeah, I like the family. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I have that craving for more information. So it's nice to be in the car when. I'm, oh I'm yeah, no, I'm, I'm not I. That is a great. I, I'll often I'll drive home, usually listening to something, a podcast or uh, the radio sometimes. But uh, 
I often get home and then I sit there in my garage for a second to, to finish listening <laughs> to something. So and now that your kids are you finally yeah. in school, oh yeah, oh man, oh. you're in the garage for an I extra I forty-five just sleep, minutes. Sleep right there. <laughs> well, if I don't come in one day, yeah, just yeah, check, check the garage. garage. Perfect. Yeah. Well, please make sure the garage door is up if the it, car is still running. It, Nicole, it is. All right. Anyway, thanks to Chris for being here on the show because I have to watch out for your well-being. Thank you. Because I, I I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I, I like you. I appreciate you, that. And, and I, I like you here. I like you on the show. I like you on the, I uh, like the newscast. Here. Yes, and I like you being alive as well. Uh, anyway, thanks for Chris, <laughs> to Chris for being here on the show. Appreciate all his insight. Uh, I have nothing really planned for next week until maybe I get that um, that other study person yeah. on. Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll hook that up and see if I can get that for next week. And um, Joseph is supposed to be back next week, but who knows and who cares? Uh, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> anyway, thanks again for being here. Nicole, thanks for filling in. As of always, course. you are the best. Love nah, having you on there. Oh, thank yeah. you. You are the best. Uh, thanks again for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.